today is Palm Sunday, and my wife mentioned that earlier. Um, it is the day that we commemorate uh, Jesus, what we call the triumphal entry into the capital city of Jerusalem. We're still in our series on the spiritual discipline of prayer. And the way that I feel the Holy Spirit led me to uh, finish out this series is we've talked about some applications on prayer, some aspects of prayer, that kind of stuff. But over the next two weeks during or two weekends over this holy week, I thought it'd be very fitting. And I think the Lord put this on my heart to actually examine the prayers of Jesus in God's word. So today, the title of the message is this, Jesus' Prayer in the Garden. I think it's important, too, as we think about this, and you can go with me to Matthew chapter 26. We'll get there in just a few minutes, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. I think it's important for us to consider what the contrasts are between earthly kings and their kingdoms, as well as Jesus as our spiritual king, amen, and his spiritual or eternal and everlasting kingdom. Um, his purpose in riding into Jerusalem that day was to make public his claim to be their Messiah and their king. He had been telling the disciples throughout his ministry, shh, shh, shh. He's been telling, he's healed people and said, shh. But now at this moment, he's, he's come through into the city during a holy celebration, something called Passover. We'll talk a little bit more about. But it's at this moment that he says, let's just go public with this whole thing. He feels like the time is right. So he rides into the capital city like a conquering king would have back then. But it's different. A conquering king would have came in with an army riding on a giant steed, majestic and royal robes and all of these things. That would have been an earthly king's take. They would have ridden through town, paraded through so that everybody could sing, shout, throw money at them. You know, all the kinds of things that you would do in those days. And then where would they end up? They would end up at their palace. Jesus takes a similar journey but as my wife said in worship, she preached some for me today. She, doesn't, she, she didn't know she was. She didn't look at my notes. But as my wife said in worship today, the idea of us coming together to worship the king, those people did that, and it looked different than what they were expecting it to look like. They were expecting Jesus to come in, take charge over the Romans, kick them all out, say, this is our town, you're not welcome here, that kind of stuff. They didn't understand. So instead of him riding in on a majestic steed, the Bible says that he came in on a lowly donkey. Instead of him riding in in a royal robe, he would end up in some tattered clothes later that week. But people who were poor and humble were taking their own cloaks and throwing them down at his feet. They thought that he was going to lead a revolt against the government, but truthfully, what he wanted to do was lead a revolt against all wickedness and evil. Amen? And so 
it's important for us to think about this and the contrast between what he looked like, what his entry into Jerusalem looked like, and then we're going to talk today about his prayer in the garden. But his entry into Jerusalem is an exact fulfillment of Zechariah 9 verse 9, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the streets of Jerusalem are now open to Jesus as he's riding in, and instead of him going to a palace that would have his name on it, do you know where he ended up going? He went to the temple which is a spiritual palace, if you can think it in terms like that, where God's presence was. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's making his mark. And then surely and soon thereafter, they would betray him. They would crucify him. And he would show that he was going to conquer hearts and lives through his sacrificial love and not through a military conquest. So the Bible tells us Jesus is coming into the city and the reason why he's coming that at that time is for Passover. If you remember what Passover is, raise your hand. I'm not going to give you a mic. I won't embarrass you if you don't. Here's the thing. Passover happened back in the Old Testament during Moses' day. And what it was, was it was a remembrance of when God brought the people miraculously out of Egypt They kept celebrating this throughout the years, and it was time for the celebration and the observance of this again. So Jesus does go into the city, and let's read what happens in Matthew 26, verse 36. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, and taking with him, sorry, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and look up at me. I don't know what your version says. I know this version up here says watch. The truest translation that we can get from the original language is stay awake with me. Not keep your eyes out for soldiers. Jesus is saying, come pray with me. (laughs) So verse 39, it says, and going a little further or farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them asleep. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in prayer? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Somebody said amen. We've all been there, okay? It says here in verse 40, he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? I'm going to tell you something. And this is not legalism. I'm not telling you how long you should pray. I'm just telling you, Jesus expected his disciples to pray for an hour, and they couldn't do it. (laughs) Okay? 
So he says, could you not stay awake for this hour and pray with me? Verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. If you remember any of the details of Peter, Peter is not the one who betrayed Jesus. That man's name was Judas. What Peter's role is, is he actually denies having known the Christ. Jesus prophesies and says, you'll do this three times at my suffering. So Jesus is giving him a forewarning right here, right now, and says, would you stay awake with me and pray so that you don't enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's get up and go. My betrayer is at hand. Verse 47 says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So Jesus prays three times in the garden, and I want us to look at the words that he prayed because I think there's significance there. Not only in his own personal relationship as a human embodiment of God on earth to his heavenly father, but things that can apply to us as well. So go back to verse 39 and read it again. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cup that Jesus is talking about is the cup of suffering. It's a cup you would look in the Old Testament and you can see details in prophecies as well as just in their normal cultures back then. They used a reference as a cup being filled to overflowing when it came to God's wrath or judgment or suffering. Like this cup is too much for me to bear. This burden is too much for me to bear. So Jesus is using that sort of language when he says, let this cup pass from me. But yet he relinquished his will and submitted to the Father. So as we talk about the spiritual discipline of prayer for you and I, I want to tell you that point number one, or letter A today, is this, submit to God. I'm going to say it until you get it. Submit to God. How many of you have ever, I mean, we're in an honest church. How many of you have ever struggled to submit something to God? Submit to God. Submission is not a four-letter word. (laughs) And I feel like you can do the math and calculate it's ten letters. But we treat it like it's a dirty word. We treat it like it's something that should not be done. Our culture, the modern world that we live in, and I think the reason is, is because we're so enthralled with ourselves 
the youth went to youth conference and the preacher, as he preached, as he spoke, there was this habit they had in the audience that when anybody said something that was kind of like on their toes, they would all shout in the crowd and say, toes. So I didn't mean to step on your toes, but here is what I'm trying to tell you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not American. I prize and value the freedoms that we have fought for. Men and women have died for the independence that we have. We have many who serve, who have served and are serving in the military currently right now. My family members have done the same. I will never speak poorly about the freedoms that we have. But let me just say to you, there is something so American deep inside of us that we have this independence and you can be whoever you want and it doesn't matter and you just go for it. We prize those freedoms and independence over everything else so that when we talk about submission, everyone goes, Ugh. <laughs> uh, what do you mean submit? I'm my own king. I don't need to submit. The spiritual principle of submission, though, is something, here it comes, is something that's missing in all of our lives. Everybody say toes. <laughs> so here goes. Submission to God does not mean living or acting in fear. It's actually an expression of love and honor. When I submit myself to God... I'm demonstrating that I, to use very casual, non-good non words, I'm saying to God, I ain't got this, okay? <laughs> I don't have this. I need you to have this. And I think here's what the thing is. We think about submission. We say, sure, I could give that one thing away. She just talked about celebrate recovery. I'll show up and give that one thing away. God wants it all. So, We've got to understand, though, that submission is an expression of love and honor to God. It, it is not us being subservient or being at the place where we live in fear and cower in that way. It's us saying to God, I ain't got this. I don't have this and I need you. Amen. Submission to God really is freedom. We think about it in terms of having to, maybe we've heard it, at least when I put it in context like a four-letter word, we think of oppressive or repressive sort of behavior. Uh, people get all twisted up talking about what Paul said to husbands and wives. They get all twisted up about it. Here's the idea. Submission is freeing. And let's not hate on the ladies. I'm going to tell you, laying down your life, men, for your wife is harder than it sounds. Hello, can I get an amen from a husband in here, from any men in here? Yes. The word of God has stuff to say for both of us. And surely when Paul gave those instructions, he was saying, men, you had better submit your life to God the way that Jesus Christ laid down his life for the church. So submission is not um, it, meaning for us to be entangled or oppressed or repressed. It really is truly freeing. Amen. 
These are good notes and good points. You better write them down. Here we go. The next one about submission is this. Submission to God is done in prayer. Say, well, I submitted my life to the Lord 22 years ago. Fill in the date, whatever it is. You need to submit your life to the Lord today. In this 24 hours that you've got, you and I have the same challenge. This is not me preaching at you. I'm preaching for me (laughs) and for you. We have to understand that as we talk about the principles of prayer and that spiritual discipline that takes hard work, then we've got to understand true submission happens when we are in communication with God. It means for us to listen and obey and follow his lead. The things that happen in prayer. This is where submission is done. This is what Jesus did. If we look at his prayer, he said, Nevertheless, although my flesh wants it a certain way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. And here's another thing about submission. It can't be done selectively. You cannot give God just the one thing. Because actually, Jesus taught his disciples and those who followed him all the time. He said things like this. If you don't give me all of it, I don't want any of it. That's my paraphrase. But Jesus was saying, if, if God is not top of the priority list, he's not on the list. So submission to God cannot be done selectively where we say, okay, well, this category of stuff, I'll give this to you, but the other stuff is mine because I'm I'm going to run this stuff. Okay, you help me with this thing. We can't do it selectively. It's got to be done comprehensively, and it also can't be done when you want to or when you wait to feel like doing it. Toes. We won't do this every Sunday, but I thought this was fitting today because here's the idea. If it's meant to be comprehensive, we can't do it just when we want to or we can't wait until we feel like doing it. It's actually got to be a principle or a discipline in our life that is current. It's not dusty, it's, it's not done 27 years ago and now we're here. It's done this morning when you woke up. It's done today when you're tempted to say something you shouldn't. It's that moment that requires you to submit to God. And it cannot be done just every once in a while or when you feel like it. And here's the thing else about submission. Another thing about submission is submitting to God really helps you resist the devil. If I'm working actively, consciously, cognitively on submitting myself to God, the devil really doesn't have a whole lot of room (laughs) 
So if I'm practicing this in my life, and Jesus did in his prayer, and let me just explain to you or say to you this, you will hear the words of Jesus echoed throughout every teaching he ever taught that's recorded for us when he said, my father's will be done. I am here to do my father's will. This was not a one-off where Jesus was terrified of going to die. This is Jesus had a practice of submission And it helped him resist the devil. It helped him and it can help you. James chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 says this. I love it. He, God, gives more grace. This is why it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submission to God does not happen in a proud person's life. It happens to those who are humble. When we're humble and at the place of saying, God, I don't got this. I really need you. Then we see that submission to God can happen when we are living in humility, not when we're living in a state of pride. But it helps us resist the devil And the Bible gives us this promise. James says that when we resist him, he will flee. So I want to encourage you to do as Jesus did. And submit yourself and your will to your heavenly father. And I ask you today to consider this specifically. What specific area of your life could this apply to? You say, well, I've got it in all these other areas, but this one pet thing that I love to do and have and want and this decision, these are my things. What's that area? Because the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on that and say, hey, let me have that too. Amen? So I believe that God wants us to live in submission. And it's hard. It is easier said than done. All right, point number two that I see in Jesus praying in the garden is repetition is okay. It's a simple, practical point. But Jesus prayed essentially the same prayer three times in a short period of time, going back to God in prayer. Here's what it did. It helped him, listen to me closely, as the prayer, as the person who was praying. Did God forget that he just submitted his will to him? No. Did God need to be reminded that his only begotten son had submitted himself to him? No. But the repetition is okay for Jesus. That must mean it's okay for us. For our sake, we should continue to come back to God in prayer, asking and believing. In fact, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Then he says something awesome 
to apply it to the people then and will apply to us today. Verse 9. Which one of you, if his child asked him for bread, would give that child a stone? And you're, it, Jesus is starting to apply this in a human sense to them so that they understand. There's no one in this room that wouldn't do anything to protect the life of their offspring or their grand offspring. <clears throat> I hear it's good, you know, to have grandchildren. I don't know. But then verse 10 says this. Jesus says, or if he asked for fish, would you give him a snake? I already told you last week, this ain't a snake church. If I see them, I destroy them in Jesus' name. Okay? Don't you bring one here. You can take it anywhere else, not here. Verse 11, Jesus continues it and says, If you then, toes who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good things to those who ask him? So keep on asking him. Keep on seeking freedom. Keep on submitting the same thing to him because you haven't won the battle just yet. But he's never failed and he won't start now. So he says, how much more, if, you're, if you are a lowly human, if you're a low life, you're evil, you still do good things for your kids, how much more do you think your heavenly father would love to give good gifts to you? So ask, seek, Knock, what confidence it is to know that when I ask the Father who is in heaven, he wants to give good things to me. It's amazing. I talked to somebody last week. They shared a testimony with me, and I won't share the full thing here. I don't have their permission to do so. But they they said something about the um, prayer series having made a difference and an impact in their prayer life. And I was encouraged by that. I was really encouraged by that. And they said something remarkable, which is, I've still got one big prayer that I keep praying that I haven't seen an answer. I've got good news for that person and for everybody in this room today that if you ask your good heavenly father, he'll give you good things. It might take, it might take longer than you want. It might show up in a different form than you thought. Jesus himself prayed in submission and in repetition. Okay, so point number three and four come from the same story of Jesus praying in the garden, but from other biblical writers' points of view. Does anybody remember hearing the word synoptic, synoptic gospels? Something you might have heard in Sunday school years ago or something, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all Gospels because they share the good news of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic because they have a similar story, but they're written from different points of view. Today, if I were to talk to you and you after church and say, what did you get out of that message? She's going to say something different than he's going to say because their point of view is different. That doesn't mean one of them is lying when she says, pastor said blah, blah, blah about prayer. And he says, well, pastor said blah, blah, blah about prayer. Yes, I did both. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them have similar stories and chronology. And they testify to the greatness of the king who we're here to worship and who we say we want to serve. 
So I want us to dig into the two others, into Mark and Luke, and see their point of view and bring out two other points. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 36. This is Mark's retelling. He's recounting the details of Jesus' prayer in the garden. And it says this, And he said, Abba, Father. Abba is a, if I could put it like this, it's a, an, an endearing term for dad. Okay, So he hears Jesus say, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want or what I will, but what you will. So Mark, in his recounting of the story, hears a different aspect of prayer and hears Jesus declare something to God the Father and say, I'm reminding you, all things are possible for you. There's nothing impossible for God. So can you? (laughs) If not, it's okay, but can you? This is Jesus' prayer. I look at him in his humanness in these moments and understand that point number three or letter C is this. All things are possible with God. These are words directly from the mouth of the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Jesus himself said it in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, when he declared this very statement, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So here's my take on what Luke's perspective or his point of view is. His understanding and his hearing of that little snippet of what Jesus said in prayer to the Father is that we should pray impossible prayers. Are you with me? God has always been about restoring, about healing, about Providing about giving purpose into purposeless situations. Delivering hope where there seems to be no hope. And he still wants to do that. So don't you dare shut your mouth or shut your mind off from the possibility. Pray. Pray and believe that all things are possible. That God can divinely protect your children on their travels. That God can divinely give a new job where it's needed. That God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could ever ask or think. That's the God you serve. It's amazing when you think about it, that all things are possible with God. That means you should pray big prayers. Luke records a different piece. His point of view at the moment on the Mount of Olives which is where the Garden of Gethsemane was situated. There's a bunch of mixed tradition about who owned it. But essentially, Jesus visited this place. And it it comes from two words in the Aramaic language, which would have been Gath Shemanim. Okay? If I'm pronouncing that correctly, I hope. But none of you are biblical scholars, so it's okay. Here's the deal. It means olive press. It was an olive grove that Jesus would visit frequently. They would stop. You hear the Mount of Olives being talked about in Scripture. Jesus is there at the base of the Mount of Olives in this garden in Luke's retelling. He doesn't call it Gethsemane, but he says this exact details. He says in Luke 22, verse 43 and 44, during Jesus' prayer, 
there's something the other two did not mention. Read the screen or your Bible on the page. And there appeared to him, Jesus, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. I just want you to know that physical strength takes work. (laughs) Can I get an amen from anybody who's ever lifted a box? I mean, like to have the strength to carry in the groceries. Okay, it takes practice and you got to do it over time. Uh, Miss Ann had an injury uh, not too long ago and she's been recuperating. Miss Sandra had one too. Your pastors had two, two, two also. And here's the thing. I'm not near as strong in this side of my hand or my arm as I am in this one. And it's not just because I'm right-handed. It's because this one was broke. (laughs) And because it needed to regain its strength. I need you to understand. In Luke's telling, Luke is not lying. And some, some manuscripts don't have verse 43 and 44 granted. But there are those manuscripts that do that say there appeared to Jesus in his prayer time an angel sent from God to strengthen him. This is not about physical strength. It's about the encouragement of the soul. The divine encouragement that can come and supernatural strength. Not to be he-man or superhuman. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is Jesus needed strengthening. And you do too. It says that the angel strengthened him, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Point number four is this, or letter D. Prayer results in supernatural strength and encouragement. Hearing somebody share a testimony like they did last week with me and say, to Pastor Attaboy, good, good job on the series. I'm learning things. I'm up. That's awesome. That's encouragement to me. I look at my wife because we have a movie reference. Encouragement. That's special. But when the Holy Spirit of God lifts a burden off of you, in a moment that is not mystical or magical, but supernatural and lifts a burden and speaks encouragement and life into a dead situation or a decision that you thought was heading in the wrong direction or in your brokenness and in your pain, to have the encouragement that comes divinely sent by God himself, man, it'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you live. Jesus needed strengthening. The strengthening, the word there, if you do a deeper study, which I did this week, the word strengthening is not the physical strength, but it is of a different sort that literally means to be ready or be made ready for conflict. It's like a military term that basically God was giving Jesus a shot in the arm And he sent a divine messenger to do it. 
I want to meet that angel. That that would be like, so what did you do? <laughs> did you say to Jesus, attaboy, you can do this, you got this? Like, what did you do to encourage him? Here's the thing. One word from the master can heal the sick, raise the dead, provide where there was no provision, give life where there was death, repair things that were broken, restore stuff that was unfixable, help you with a habit, a hang-up, or a hurt that you just can't seem to get over. God can do that when we go to him in the spiritual discipline of prayer. My wife said something that was encouraging, even though it had to do with discouragement this morning. How many of you have ever been disappointed with God? And many of us agreed, yes, there have been times that God has not done it like I told him he should, <laughs> right? Here's, here's what I found. That when we live in submission, when we're at the place where it's okay to keep coming back to the Lord in that repetition of prayer, when we're submitting and believing that all things are possible with God, then as a result, our prayer life and our whole life receives that encouragement. Divine encouragement trumps human encouragement any day. <laughs> the point is this. We all need prayer from time to time. You may not need it every Sunday. I'm just saying we're so excited that we have the ability to agree with you in prayer. Would you stand today? I really felt heavy on my heart, the submission point. That's why it took the longest and most development. Because God chose to reveal to us that Jesus himself had to submit himself to the Father. And that's really the key today. Maybe you are here and you say, you know what? I have been thinking that this is impossible for God, but you gave me a shot in the arm, Pastor, and I'm excited. I'm going to pray about that thing. But for the majority of us, we don't have the submission thing down. Even if we're on a road that's a healing journey, we still need more submission to the Lord. So as you stand today, I want you to think about that category, that place, that decision, that issue, that hardship, that challenge, whatever it is. And I want you to take it to the Lord in prayer. Do like Jesus did. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak. Lord, that you would, as you already have through your word and even to spiritually encourage the hearts that are here, I pray that you would speak to, to each one. And Lord, that we would live our lives in submission to you. If you want prayer for any reason, whether it's job-related, marriage, health, if you want somebody to agree with you to pray that you submit more to the Lord, step out right now and come receive prayer on that side or on this side.